This is Alone With Our Principles, Episode 5. Hey, bada, 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 swing, bada. Since we're in the midst of the Major League Baseball postseason in this episode, Eric and I are going to chat about our experiences in baseball and the lessons we've learned along the way. Alone With Our Principles is unofficially sponsored by Topps Baseball Cards, America's leading source of stale, brittle gum since 1951. mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. He's got a real attitude problem. Looks like you're a slack. So far this semester, he has been absent nine times. Nine times. Nine times. All right. Well, Eric, since since you mentioned Topps baseball cards, I got to lead off with my favorite baseball card story. Um, it's from uh, from 1978. Uh, now I'd collected cards from the time I was even younger than that, but 1978. I was never younger than that. Right. Go okay. <laughs> 1978 <laughs> is going to recur throughout this episode because that was like the favorite baseball year of my entire life. Um, but that year, my best friend Paul and I. Um, decided we were going to collect baseball cards and we were going to try through the course of the season uh, to get the entire set of yeah. Topps baseball cards. Now, it was one of those things. Paul and I were very competitive. We're best friends. He was like my first best friend ever, and we're still friends. And uh, we were very competitive in everything. We were on opposite opposite teams when we played Little League and Babe Ruth League baseball. Um, so we kind of felt like we were going to be competitive about the baseball card collecting to see who would get the entire set first. Well, at the beginning of the year, we were very collaborative, let's say, where, all right, I'd have some that he, I'd have doubles he didn't have, we'd trade back and forth. So we got up to like 400 or 500 cards pretty quickly by mid-season um, out of like a 750, let's say 756. I'm going to double check that. If I'm right on that, my memory is too scary, but it was something like that. Once it got to that point, though, it's harder and harder to get the players you need, and you end up wasting a lot of money oh, yeah. on baseball cards trying to get the guys you need. So, Where did you buy your baseball cards? There was a place called Royal Market on Boundbrook Road in Middlesex, New Jersey, where I grew up. So, yeah, uh, we get bottle caps and Charleston shoes and all that other stuff. So we get our baseball cards, and it got towards the end of the season, and Paul had gotten the complete set. I needed... And there's only one reason you would ever know this baseball player is if you needed his card as the last one to complete your set. Milwaukee Brewers third baseman designated hitter Jamie Quirk. <laughs> Jamie Quirk. Oh, I, there's a name from the past. I think his claim to fame, he's got the highest lifetime batting average of a batter whose last name started with the letter Q. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that may be a fact. Better than so I didn't have Jamie Quirk. Paul had the entire set. And he had about five Jamie Quirks and was happy to let me know that. Oh, man. So I was trying to make deals with us. I'll give you Pete Rose, Steve Garvey, Nolan Ryan, and Johnny Bench for Jamie Quirk. He's here. ah, I don't know if I can part with Quirk. It's like, come on, man. You don't even know anything about Jamie Quirk. You got Quirk. there first. You already won. Yeah. Uh, you don't know anything about Jamie Quirk. He goes, oh, contraire. And he flips the card slowly over. He goes, I know that Jamie Quirk was born October 22nd, 1954 in Whittier, California. I know that he went three for five with two home runs for Omaha on August 1st, 1975. He did not trade me 
a Jamie Never Quirk. Let go, huh? I finally got one. Uh, after buying, I probably spent like $100 more than I had to at 1978 prices, right, mind you. Of course. And eventually, I got my Jamie Quirk uh, baseball card and had a complete set up until the time we moved to California and my mom threw my baseball card collection whoa, away. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, right. I haven't let my mom forget about that, actually, wow. for sure. So... Anyway, um, it's the playoffs going on. Your Braves have already advanced. It is the playoffs. It's you know, it's 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 a, been a wild, wild season, and it's funny because I you know I was listening to another podcast just this morning. Um, Jim Rome was interviewing Hunter Pence, oh, okay. who just recently announced his retirement. Oh, I didn't a, hear that. He did. Yeah, just about a week, maybe a week, maybe two ago. Oh, wow. Uh, after uh, a pretty storied uh, career, yeah. you know, a couple World Series championships mixed in there. Um, but in any case, um, you know, I. Uh, he was talking about they were talking about the season and what it means you know to players like right. what's the significance of a shortened for those listening you know shortened pandemic 60 game season and uh, all this time i've been thinking that like you know it's kind of like well we talked about well it's 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 a meaningful season if your team wins it all right right if not yeah. it's like yeah whatever <laughs> 60 but, you know, games who cares you know hunter had a kind of different perspective he said you know if you really think about it the adversity that some of these players had to deal with you know getting ramped up in spring and then getting shut down and then wondering if the season's going to start not starting trying to stay ready and you know dealing with playing without fans when realizing that the players really thrive on the energy coming from a fan base not having all that he was actually arguing for the fact that this season in some ways is more meaningful because there's been so many things that have happened so many things that have changed and in 60 game season there's a lot less room for error to be good you got to be really good and really consistent so kind of changed my perspective a little bit but in any case yeah so you know here we are what we're right in between almost in between LDS and ALDS and yeah as we're recording this um we're gonna we're gonna post it next week but as we're recording this the only series left in doubt is of course the most important series uh that involves my New York Yankees (laughs) um they're tied at two games each with uh the evil and vile Tampa Bay Rays uh, so hopefully um, Garrett Colkiner and some of that three hundred and forty whatever million. Well, you know this is uh, this is what so they this is what they paid him for. You yeah. know, I mean this is the spot. Uh, you know Garrett Cole, the one I came across the picture last night of him as a kid holding yeah. up a sign oh. saying he was a Yankee fan. Didn't know that existed. Yeah, that was pretty yeah. cool. He actually had the sign the day they signed him. They brought he brought the same sign, <laughs> really? all, all faded and everything. I had but no he, idea. Yeah, he held that sign up at his press conference. It was awesome. That's, so. that's a great story. So yeah, you know, by the time the listeners hear this, man, it could be a lot different because you know now the division series is moving a lot faster. They're in one stadium. They're playing literally back to back games. Um, did you know they're going to let fans in for the next round? I did, in, in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Not, not out here in California, right. but in Texas they are for sure. So that'll be fun to watch. Yeah, Braves-Dodgers is going to be a slugfest. It should be a good series. Be... You know, I, I did not expect my Braves to get this far, especially as the good. pitching depleted. The pitching has looked great. You know, the Nationals have proved anything last year that you get hot at the right time. You know, good things can happen. Yeah. So I kind of feel like the, the baseball gods are setting up an Astros-Dodgers rematch, though. Yeah. I don't want it to oh, be. Gosh. I don't think either of us wants that. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised, though. So. I would never be confused with a Dodger fan, but if that ended up being the case. Make you know, your household a little happier, I Absolutely. Think. <laughs> if, if the Dodgers can pull out a victory, because they are definitely due. Uh, so. All right. So we'll, we'll start, as we always do, um, with the quiz. Yeah. A little modified version, because we're focusing on baseball, although right. we're going to tie some leadership and um, – uh, lessons into it. Sure. Um, so I'll start with uh, with you. One of our regular questions: What's actually the best job you've had outside of education? Yeah, and this one actually works plays nicely because one of my favorite jobs, <clears throat> excuse me, one of my first jobs was uh, working at a, at a, a ball field. Okay, um, and it's kind of an interesting story the way it all happened. My my very very best friend at the time, Jeff, who is still one of my best friends, 
um, been been friends since pretty much grade school. Uh, we were uh, we were out on our bikes one day and we were not really looking for a job and we were cruising past. So this is the San Bernardino Spirit uh, at the time. I remember them. Weren't they in? Yeah. They were in a movie. I thought. Anyway. Uh, they might. I know they filmed some movies at their ball field, Fiscalini Field, which was on uh, Highland Avenue down there in San Bernardino. Okay. There was um, one with. I want to say. Uh, I'm not going to think of the actors. Name. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, his mom actually at the time worked at St. Bernardine's Hospital, which was just down the road. And so we would go down there and visit her at work. And one day we drove by and thought, you know, let's go in. Let's, we were 15 and a half. And so we, we uh, walk in there and we just kind of ask, like, do you guys have any jobs, anything open? And the, uh, the manager or the, the, the guy that runs the operations there comes out and he's like, I have one. And uh, he's like, there's two of you. I have one job. <laughs> um, he's like, I need a sweeper. I need somebody to just help clean up during games, walk around, you know. Uh, scrape the bubble gum off the ground, whatnot, and and long story short, he offered the position to both of us and allowed us to split it. So that very first season, he worked half the home games, and I worked the other half. I worked every other home game, and that first season probably was the best one because honestly, I got paid to watch baseball. Yeah, I had a dustpan and a broom, and I walked the the stands for nine innings and swept. Um, I loved it because I got to meet people, I got to watch baseball. Yeah, uh, you know, I got to get close to some of the players. Um, and so for the next three seasons, I worked there. Um, and it was nice because it was a summer job during school, you know, and uh, so, but every job, every year was a little different. So I was a sweeper. And then the next year, um, I was what they called a runner. So my job was to make sure all the snack bars had what they needed. So when somebody ran out of beer, man, you had to go, <laughs> you had to go get the dolly and wheel the cake down or licorice ropes. And, you know, and then between there, I was making cotton candy and serving popcorn. I did a little bit of everything, which was fun. And then the last year I was there, actually, I don't know how this happened, but I ended up in the parking lot doing parking security, which was not as fun. But uh, nonetheless, baseball, people, being outside, it was, it was a great See any day. players go through there that ended up in the majors? You know, well, Griffey obviously played there, but oh, that yeah. was before my time. So um, I think as a kid I may have seen him play there. Um, and then there were certainly players that, you know, prospects that I was buying – game used bats i was buying baseball cards i i do have griffey's uh spirit baseball card at home um there's some other guys that you know like mark newfield that ended up coming up and, and lasted a half a second but uh um you know we also did some other cool things there they would do boxing matches they would actually set okay. up a boxing ring in the middle of the field and they would have people come out and so we worked some of those events fourth of july fireworks stuff like that so and you were 15 um, and a half that's like i started 15 and a half had to get a work permit what a great job yeah and then worked there for three seasons before I, I moved on to the, I needed something a little more steady than just a yeah. summer gig, you know. But, uh, yeah, man, great memories, lots of fun, spirit baseball. All right. So that brings me to my quiz question for Chris, and that is, what is a memorable baseball-related, being this is our baseball show, yeah. baseball-related story from your childhood? Yeah, I've, I've got a ton, but, uh, you know, I thought about um, talking about when I went, my dad used to take me to Yankee Stadium all the time and we would go on old timers day every year because mm. um, a friend of my dad's uh his company had box seats about six rows behind the yankee dugout and we would go in and back back then in the mid 70s old timers day was scheduled between games of a double header mm. so you'd watch two yankee games and between games would be the old timers game so i remember being eight nine ten eleven years old sitting six rows behind the yankee dugout as they're introducing the yankees old-timer team and when you're talking about the yankees old-timer team in right. the 70s 70s dimaggio mickey mantle oh yogi Berra, whitey oh. ford who unfortunately we found out passed away today yeah I um, but seeing all those players the legends just mere feet in front of me was just awe-inspiring yeah um but the story that i really want to talk about was, is my little league experience 
um, because I had the best little league coach you could possibly imagine. His name was Steve Fellin. And, um, Fellin? Fellin, F-E-L-L-I-N. And by the time that I played for, for the Reds in Middlesex Little League, he had been coaching long before then and long after. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was on the team from 75 to 77. And he taught us all kinds of lessons that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later yeah. in the episode uh, when we get into what we learned from our baseball experiences. Um, but there were so many good coaches in that league. Uh, Mr. Fallon, of course, um, Bob Green. I remember he was the coach of an opposing team. Uh, and Bob Ferris uh, was coaching the Giants. And I just remember even being an opposing player, a lot of guys named Bob. Seems like the, you know, <laughs> Central Jersey in the 70s, I think we led the nation in Bobs per capita. If we can now Google, like, uh, you know, famous first names in 1975. Right, there you go. Um, but anyway, I just remember even admiring those coaches and seeing how they interacted with their players. There was never a lot of pressure. Um, uh, Mr. Fallon, though, I mean, he took it to the next level. I mean, he taught us sportsmanship. He never talked about winning. Winning was important, but it was more about discipline, about playing the game the right way, giving 100%. He had no patience for striking out looking. He figured (laughs) figured if you went down looking, it was on you. Didn't matter if it was a little bit outside or a little bit low. Um, In fact, there was one story that that he actually got on me a little bit. Uh, There was one umpire in the league. Um, Mr. Pizzuti, and if you're listening, it was low. Um, <laughs> I, I was up, and, and there was two outs in the inning, and I was up, and I got rung up on a pitch that was at, uh, at my ankles. It was clearly and, and clearly low. So I'm walking back to the dugout, and I didn't lose my temper, but I just kind of flippantly just tossed my helmet aside, flipped the bat back onto the bat rack, went into the dugout to get my glove, and headed back up the stairs of the dugout, and, and Mr. Fallon said, where do you think you're going? Get your butt on the bench. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him, and I'm like, oh, geez. Yeah. Uh, so I sat down. He sent my replacement out to third base for me. So I sat down. He just sat down next to me. He didn't even look at me. He was just looking straight ahead watching the game. He goes, we don't throw our bats. We don't throw our helmet. And then he walked away. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there, tears in my eyes, just watching the game going on. And then he let me stew in that. For, for about an hour or two during the game. Then he comes back and sits, sits next to me. He goes, how you feeling? Go, it's going all right. He goes, got a little bit of a low strike zone tonight, doesn't he? He goes, yeah. <laughs> he says, all right. You going to let that happen again? He said, no, coach. And he just hit my hat on my yeah. head and, and walked away. So, I yeah. mean, he made his point. Um, the highlight, though, we won the championship in 76. Our team nice. was dominant. We played 17 games. We were 13 and 4. Um, and I remember in the championship game, we had a kid on our team. His name was Kelly Wilson. It's, it seemed like it at the time. He was 12 years old. He must have been, to me, the skinny little kid. He seemed like he was 6'5", 240. He mm-hmm. couldn't have been that big, right. but he was clearly the biggest player on our team. He pitched, he caught, played shortstop, hit a ton, and, and just one of the a great leader even at 12. He would organize our practices. Just really, really a great kid. He mm-hmm. ended up being like star on our football team in high school and everything. Um, Anyway, there was one game, it was, we were in the championship game and we were up by a couple runs and I'm playing third, Kelly's catching. And uh, to tell you what uh, Coach Fallon taught us about sportsmanship. Um, the batter was a, a kid named Danny Zakashevsky. Uh, see, I remember these, I don't know why <laughs> I, don't I remember, remember these, these, I don't names, know. Man. But his name was Danny Zakashevsky and we'll put a pin in that because there's a, a coach, um, Bob Green story that comes back into play in a minute. So Zakashevsky was their catcher and he was a big big kid too and he hits a pop-up between uh foul pop by the dugout between third and home so i'm going for it and kelly's going for it and as it's coming down i can see that that it skims the fence 
and then Kelly makes the catch. Now, dead ball, right? Yeah. Um, the umpire didn't see it that way. The umpire calls him out. So I'm going, all right, cool. Um, Kelly turns, he goes, I didn't catch it clean up, hit the fence. And the, and the, the ump just looks at him like, never heard a kid <laughs> argue against his own team before. Yeah. And the ump goes, um, all right, uh, foul ball, still two strikes. Now, you think the baseball gods would look favorably on that, would, but yeah. they don't. Zakashevsky hits a two-run double to the gap on the next pitch. So now the, the Pirates are up by a run on us. Um, so we're going, oh, man. And nobody said anything to Kelly, first of all, because he did the right thing, and second, he was twice our size. Um, so um, he gets up in the next inning with the bases loaded, and he hits one that I don't think landed until he was in high school. Oh I mean, he got a hold of one over the scoreboard in center field, Four runs, we ended up winning that game 17-4. Wow. So, um, in retrospect, I mean, he did the right thing. He, yeah. he knew. He, he didn't want to live with an out that we didn't earn. Yeah. And, and it was just that was the kind of, kind of way that um, Mr. Fallon taught us to play the game. And um, he was such a legend. He passed away, I think, I think in the early 2000s, and they named the Little League field for him oh, that's cool. in our town. But, yeah, yeah he's, he was just, just an amazing guy. Um, but the Bob Green story, the coach of the Pirates in that same series, um, during the season in Little League – it's not a big deal. You play so many games, but in the championship series, they make a bigger deal of it. There's banners, there's the yeah. bunting, the red, white, and blue, yep. and they actually get a PA announcer. They mm -hmm. introduce us before the game like they do in the World Series, and for every at-bat, now batting for the Reds, number 14, Kelly Wilson. Yeah. Well, when Danny Zakashevsky came up, Zakashevsky's a big name, and the announcer must have been like 14 years old and just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. So every at-bat, now batting for the, for the Pirates, Number four, Danny Zach. There you go. You know, which was his nickname. Well, after about three at-bats, Coach Green thought that, you know, Zach Ashevsky deserves for his parents to hear his whole name. So the next time it's up, Danny Zach, I remember Green walking, Coach Green walking up and goes, it's Zach Ashevsky looking up at the, at the so, press box. Yeah. And from now on, it was now batting number four, <laughs> Danny Zach Ashevsky. But, yeah, that was – His names are important. Yeah. So that's, that's, my, that's my Little League story uh, right there. So Very cool. Um, so how did, you, how did you become a Braves fan? I mean, did you grow up – you grew up in California, obviously. You're I, I Why local, the Braves? Southern California, born and raised. It's, you know, it's, it's definitely unusual. And, you know, my short answer is I don't know. You know, I was uh, – I played Little League ball just like you all through my, my youth um, up until I got to high school. And then I realized I wasn't good enough, uh, so I was okay with that and uh, bowed out of, of baseball. But it wasn't really until my mid to late teens I even really started getting interested in like major league baseball, like watching baseball mm -hmm. religiously. I, you know, my parents were not you know sports fanatics by any stretch, so I didn't have those experiences of going to going to a lot of baseball games and things. So when I got to a certain point, you know, I don't know if it was just maturity or what, and I start I started following a lot more closely. It was this, so this is like the mid nineties. Which, you know, so several things were happening at that time. You Good had, time to be a Braves fan. You had Ted Turner. You had Turner Broadcasting, right? You had, you know, you had, like, the Holy Trinity. You had Maddox Glavin and Smoltz, yeah. and then a guy named Steve Avery. Mm -hmm. uh, you had the 95 World Series. So it was a lot of things just happened at once. Um, you know, the Braves were the only team other than the Angels and the Dodgers you could watch on a regular basis in California. That. That's right. So TBS at the time, they broadcast every game. And so they were successful. They were on TV, and they had these amazing pitchers. And then you had some young kids coming up a little bit later on, like Andrew Jones and, and Chipper mm -hmm. and all these guys. And they were a fun team to watch. I and mean, they were winning division titles year after year after year. One World Series. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a lot of success. And so I just kind of got sucked in. And, you know, ever since then, it, it just stuck with me. The more I watched, the more I fell in love with the team, and the more I enjoyed watching them. And, 
you know, just love Bobby Cox and the way he managed and oh, his yeah. fire and, you know, going to bat for his players. You know, we're going to talk about some leadership lessons, yeah. but, you know. I think, they've, I think they've got a shot this year. I mean, obviously, I'm partial to the Yankees. I've been a right. Yankee fan. Uh, I don't remember choosing to be a Yankee fan. I think I was just kind of born into it. My grandfather uh, grew up going to watch uh, Ruth and Gary get the original stadium, and then my yeah. dad. Um, you didn't have a choice. No. <laughs> well, no, no. But my dad was a, you know, they'd go to games in the 50s, um, Mantle and Maris. My dad um, was and is to this day a huge Yogi Berra fan. In fact, um, I remember my dad teaching me to hit like Yogi, which means you basically try to hit every pitch no matter where it is. Yeah. Um, so my dad really wanted me to be a singles hitter. So he, we'd go to the field and he'd be throwing them outside at me, you know, teaching me to inside out the ball to right field if I needed to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I was a Yankee fan from the time that I was, uh, that I was little. And you know, like I said, in 1978, uh, when they were down 14 games uh, to Boston in July and then came back in the Bucky Dent game, yeah. uh, the one-game playoff, that's still the best game I've ever watched in my life. Um, so yeah, I've been, I, the, the earliest I remember being a Yankee fan is probably when I was seven and then every day since, uh, you know, you just live and die with your team. So, so I'm yeah. sorry about the nineties. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of battles then. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you got, yeah, yeah, there were some rough ones. You had, uh, you know, I think Andrew Jones, though, was the youngest to hit a home run in a world series game in Yankee stadium. So it had its moments. It had it all. It definitely had its, had its moments. moments. They should have won more than one, but there yeah. it was. It was. It was rough. So, yeah. all right. So let's talk about some lessons that we've learned um, through baseball that kind of apply in, uh, you know, in in our everyday life. I'll, I'll start with one that we learned um, my first day of practice with Coach Felon uh, for the Reds. Um, early is on time. On time is late. Yeah. Um, we knew from day one uh, that if our practice started at four o'clock, we were warmed up, stretched out, ready to go at quarter to four. I mean, at four o'clock, he wanted to be running the first drill, uh, whatever it was. So, and that's kind of been the thing I've, you know, my dad was always kind of that way anyway. Yeah. Um, but to this day, uh, you know, I'm not late for anything. In fact, a lot of times we're almost um, too early and my wife never lets me forget that. Like if we're going to a baseball game or to a concert or something, she has actually taken a series of selfies that she posts on her social media. First one in line. Uh, well, it's the two of us generally <laughs> in like an empty arena. It, it'll be a shot of us in our seats and empty seats everywhere behind us. We've got that at the forum for a concert at the Hollywood Bowl. It's just become, a, become kind of a running joke. But if we ever have car problems, if we ever have something on the way, we're still not going to miss the first pitch or the first note of the concert. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was definitely raised that way. I can't say it came from baseball, but my parents, that was, that was a part that they always – Impose and it would, it would drive them nuts, you know, as a high schooler when school started at seven twenty and I was getting out of bed at seven. What if what if you have car trouble? Right. What if something I'm like, ah, I'm fine, you know, <laughs> walk out the door at seven eighteen to get to school. But um, you know, when I look back on it it was like, Yeah, I mean they were it was it was important because like you said, you know, if you get there on time you're you're late. Yeah. It's just it's I get uncomfortably nervous if I'm running and it doesn't even have to be for anything that's that time bound. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're going down to visit my parents, uh, if I say we're going to be there at two, we're going to be there at two and two oh five. Nobody's going to notice that for a family get together. If you're five minutes, nobody's going to care. But to me, I said two o'clock. We're going to be there at two o'clock. Well, and people respect that. Yeah. All right. So uh, what else? What else have we learned? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, for me, I, di- I didn't write it on the notes, but, you know, it sounds a little cliche, but that notion of, uh, you know, not being afraid of the ball. Um, you know, I-, I learned a lot about courage. Uh, when I was playing Little League Baseball, um, I-, I-, I was a fearful kid. I was afraid. I- you know, my parents used to tell the story that I made them cry because one time we were getting ready to go to one of my games, and I looked at my mom and I said, please don't go. 
please don't go to my game. And my parents were just crushed. But the reality was, I, I was fear. I was afraid of embarrassing myself in front of my parents. I was afraid of letting them down. I was afraid of striking out and my parents seeing that. Not that my parents were, were judgmental by any stretch, but it just, it mattered to me so much. I wanted to impress people, the ones that, that matter, um, that at least on one occasion, I asked my mom to not come to my game because oh, I was wow. afraid I was going to... So she never let me live that one down. No, but, sure. uh, you know, um, and, you know, and not being afraid of the ball, I mean, literally and figuratively, but, you know, I had a coach who would, who would lay the bats behind you in the batter's box. So if you step back, you step, you know, <laughs> you, you rolled an ankle because yeah. you don't step out of the box. You got to stay in there. Um, but realistically, I, you know, going on and playing for several more years and taking your lumps and bumps and bruises. And, you know, I had a broken bone in there somewhere. Just, uh, you know, learning how to be part of a team and learning just to be courageous and not be afraid of, of adversity and challenges and failure because those things happen. And, you know, on the best year, a major league baseball player is going to fail 70% of the time yeah. to play, you know. so Yeah. Uh, you know, something else I learned, too, is uh, control what you can control. I mean, that applies obviously in life. There's so many, there's only so many things that are within our own uh, circle of influence. Yeah. Um, and baseball is the same way. I mean, you, learn, you can go up, you can be prepared. Um, sometimes you get a bad call from Mr. Pizzuti who calls the low strike to a ridiculous level. Or, um, not that I'm so bitter about something that happened in 1976, um, or a defender will make a great play. Uh, you can't help right. that. Um, lots of things can go wrong that, that, are, that you can't control. And if you focus on that and if you let yourself get too down by things out of your control, that's going to affect how you play in the field the next inning or your next at bat. Yeah. And then it just it becomes this negative cycle of failure that you could have controlled had you stopped and thought that, all right, sometimes sometimes you just get beat. Sometimes the pitcher throws a great pitch. Sometimes you pop up. And, yeah. you know, and, and if you focus too much on that, it, it'll take away from what you're doing right. All you can really control is your attitude and your effort. I've heard a lot of major league players over the years talk about the fact that baseball uh, requires you have a short memory because they play so many games. Like you said, you have that bad call, the game doesn't go your way. The next day, man, you got to get up and get ready. You yeah. get, and if you're carrying that with you, uh, it's it's not going to go well. You know, we, we we just saw a game here a couple nights ago where uh, Cody Bellinger robbed uh, oh, Fernando Tatis. Probably one of the plays catch. of the year. Oh yeah, plays of the playoffs. By Given far. the circumstances. Given the circumstances, sure. yeah. game changer, and you know. Padres players were upset, and the Dodgers players were celebrating. It was, it was interesting to watch, but then just last night at the second game, I don't know if you were watching, caught this, but uh, Tatis and Bellinger had a moment at second base. Uh, Bellinger, I think he hit a double or stole a base and ended up a second, and they, they had a chat, and they were laughing and oh, slapping good. each other on the behind, good. and Bellinger said something to him like, man, I'd be so upset if somebody did that to me. Yeah. So, you know, but that it kind of models what you're talking about. It's like, you know, control what you control and have a short memory because at the end of the day it is just a game. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it ties into the same thing, coping with failure you mentioned a minute ago. I mean, you know, if you fail in baseball 70% of the time, you're probably going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, if you're a career 300 yeah. hitter, um, yeah, you just have to focus on the next at bat uh, and understand that you're, you're going to fail in life. Now, in our job as principals, I don't think we want to fail 70% of the time. You'd right. like, like us to be batting a little bit better than that. Um, yes. But, yeah, so I think that, you know, effort impacts results. Um, you know, you, you can't rely on good fortune. You have to be prepared and then let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Want to do the extra credit question? Sure. Let's do it. All, All right. right. So, so we have this question that we're we're both going to take a minute to answer, and of course, it's baseball related. And uh, Chris came up with this one. It was a struggle for me, <laughs> um, you know, especially. But it's it's kind of interesting this year of all years because we've had a lot of changes, right? So this year, 
uh, for baseball, instituting a designated hitter in the National League. We've got some really unique over not overtime, but extra innings rules yeah. for tie games. Uh, I think there's been some 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 positives to to some of them, and and some not so much. And uh, you know, runners on second anyway. Uh, so so the question that we're going to ask each other today is, and I'll let you go first, Chris. Is okay. if you were the MLB commissioner, what is a rule that you would add, change, or eliminate altogether? Well, I thought of a couple of them, and one is basically going to be based on recency bias. Uh, based on some of the umpiring in the last couple of games of the Yankees Rays series, I'd always been against the electronic strike zone, mm-hmm. but boy, now I'll, I'll, I'm I'm firmly on board with the electronic. Did you guys strike have a CD zone. Buckner? The yeah, night? well, he uh, you know, and I'm not one to blame the game again. You control what you can right. control, right. Uh, but given the circumstance, uh, Luke Voigt, one of the Yankees' best hitters, mm-hmm. he led the majors in home runs this year. He's up with the bases loaded in a one-one game and two outs, three and zero count. There's a pitch clearly low, clearly low, called a strike. The at-bat continues. He ends up grounding out. The inning's over. Now, that literally, because the bases were loaded, took a run off the board. Yeah. So it would have been a 2-1 Yankee lead with Giancarlo Stanton coming up, who had, at that point hit home runs in four straight playoff games. Completely changes the, the texture of that game. Yeah. So um, I'm a big fan of the electronic strike zone. Um, but the one that I would change, if, if, if I'm commissioner for a day and said you get one rule change, I'm not going to look at something new. I'm going to look at one of the rules that I think might have been originally instituted when baseball was invented. Yeah. The rule that says if the catcher doesn't catch a third strike, the batter can run to first base. Um, I've never really understood why that's a rule, but here's why I don't like it. If the batter has such little knowledge of the strikes home that he swings and misses a pitch that is so bad that the catcher can't even stop it, why would we reward that by canceling the out and letting him run to first base? <laughs> Don't swing at that pitch. Yeah. So if it happens, you know, according to, to my rule, if he swings and misses a third strike and it bounces to the backstop, too bad, you're out. It's you know, The ball boy goes and gets it, throws it in the bucket, just like if we're a strike one or strike two. I don't like to run to first base on a strikeout. I'd be curious what the stats are on that because you know it seems pretty rare that that actually works in the batter's favor. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I mean, yeah, and, and, and to me that only point. that only validates my point. If, yeah. if they're only safe so often, just heck with it. Because the times you see it, it's like what was he swinging at? And now yeah. he's safe at first, and the out doesn't count. So. Yeah. My guess is that I feel so strongly about it is I've probably seen it work against the Yankees more than I've seen That's, it work yeah. for them. So there's probably some bias there, but I, I just I've just never liked that rule. Yeah, you know, I, and then probably mine. Mine is probably has a little bit, a little bit of that, uh, you know, tunnel vision or uh, confirmation bias as well. But, you know, we're in a time now where it was uh, the last couple of years they've implemented instant replay in baseball, which is fairly new. Um, and it seems to me like every single time, or I, I shouldn't say every time, a majority of the time, my team challenges a call in the field. It does not go in their favor, and it's even in times when I'm like, you know, you're. Bias, probably. It's right. like, how can they not see that? Yes. He was out. Come on. He clearly tagged him a microsecond before he hit the bag. <laughs> That's right. That's I right. can see it. So anyway, to that point, I have a proposal for instant replay. I like it, instant replay. I think they should keep it. However, in baseball, it works right. They call New York. So there's these, I, I, I always envision these guys sitting in front of screens watching all the games in New York. They get a call. Okay, yeah. yes, go to the tape. They watch it. They, they render a, a decision, right? Yeah. I think the person that's doing the, re- the review should have no clue what the call in the field was. Call the play on the merit of what you see on the screen. Doesn't matter what the umpire on the field call them, safe or out. What do you see? Make a call. That call stands. Because I also sense. think there's some bias. And I, you know, I got to assume that they're, they're umpires in New York, just like the umpires on the field 
in the same union, I, I think there may be the potential to want to honor yeah, what, he, what your colleague on the field called and not have to say he was wrong. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, when in doubt, uh, when in doubt, error with the call that was already made. But yeah, just call, I, I agree with that. Call it like you see it. If he was safe, he was safe. He was out, he was out. And if you've got to spend more than, then maybe if you've got to spend two or three minutes figuring out the call right. the field stands. I mean, yeah, because there are those times when it, uh, I've watched in certain plays and I'm like that is inconclusive. Yeah, They're totally inconclusive. Like you know those bang bang. You know, runner beats the tag. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've heard of a, what I don't like about the, the rule, though, is like now the, the fielder will hold the ball on a guy's leg in case he accidentally lifts his foot while he's standing. That's not the intended yeah. replay. Right. Replay is designed to correct a missed call, not to micromanage every step a player takes, but we could probably talk about yeah, that. Yeah, and then you can go off on a tangent on the whole play, you know, catcher's blocking home. That's a whole other, yeah, that was, you know, because that's one that's evolved the last few years, but. I but, still, I still believe that most of them have no idea what the rule is. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's, it's like a, a different outcome. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think, when all is said and done, it to me, baseball is the best sport that there is. Absolutely. Um, and you know, for all its um, idiosyncrasies and things that we might like to change, ultimately, it's the most fair game. I mean, you can't keep sending your best hitter up every at bat. I mean, you know, in basketball, yep. you can you can keep giving LeBron the ball all game long and let him do his thing, but you know, if it's not you know, if it's not Chipper Jones' time to hit, and Chipper Jones isn't hitting. Uh, That's true. So. That's true. It's it's timeless. It's, uh, you know, I just, yeah. It's a great game. Love it. So, all right. Well, I think that'll about wrap up our baseball chat. Um, go Yankees. Uh, again, 2-2. Uh, the series will be decided by the time this airs. Um, but, yeah, we want to remind everybody, as always, to please subscribe, rate, and review Alone With Our Principles podcast. And you can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Podbean app. Thanks Thank for you, listening. Everybody. All right. See you next time.